So today, we come to Exodus 23. I mentioned last week when we did the Ten Commandments that I wasn't going to talk very much about the commandment on Sabbath because I wanted to engage this text that we find just a little bit later. We can find these in a number of places. And again, as background, big picture view, in Exodus, we have about half of the book, roughly, that is like this action movie. It's this moving story. In fact, it has been made into many action movies with the whole story of the rescue of God's people from Egypt. You know, we have the crossing of the Red Sea and the, you know, the destruction of the Egyptian army. We have all the plagues and the encounters with Pharaoh. We have all of that. Then we get to Mount Sinai, back, sort of the circle back from where Moses began with the burning bush, and God gives them the law. So most of the rest of Exodus is dealing with these issues of the law that God has given to them. And we looked at the, really the foundation of that in the Ten Commandments last week. So this week, Exodus 23, we're going to be reading verses 10 through 13. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the wild animals may eat. You shall do the same with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, so that your ox and your donkey may have relief, and your homeborn slave and the resident alien may be refreshed. Be attentive to all that I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, as always, as we come to your word, it's your voice we want to hear. I pray, Father, that as we meditate on this, that if there's anything you need to speak to us this morning, that you would do that. And that we would not have hard hearts like Pharaoh did, but that we would be willing to listen to your word of correction, your word of encouragement your word of challenge. We're here to meet you, Lord. So we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God, the God of creation, is a God of rhythm. You only have to look and observe all that God has created to see that rhythm everywhere. I mentioned that one of the reasons we grabbed onto the name Tidelands as we wanted a name that really caught onto the place and emphasized the location. We are sitting on what is essentially Tidelands, and many of them have been diked in, right, as part of this place, but also that, that whole idea of the image, of the ebb and flow, the coming and the going. I've never been fortunate enough to live on the beach, but I've spent many, many, many weeks on the beach. My family um, Christina's family, extended family, shares a place on Anderson Island in South Sound. So I've had many weeks down there. And one of the things I've, I love about that experience is seeing the tide coming in and out, in and out, twice every day. And just that constant rhythm. You, don't, you almost don't need a clock. Because I know it changes, I get that. that it's not exactly the same time every day. But just that, that whole natural rhythm that you feel when you're spending time on the beach day after day. But we see that even bigger picture. We see that in the seasons. Don't we? We're entering into this time of year when we usually have some of our best weather. 
when I never know who's going to be here on Sunday morning because it may be one of those days you just have to grab hold of and get out and enjoy and we just don't get a lot of. But I love this time of year. I know some people miss the rain. I am not one of those people. I look forward to the stretch, sunshine, let it count, right? But I also, by the end of the summer, I'm ready for the cold. I'm ready to throw on a jacket and curl up next to the fire. I'm ready to start thinking about the the coming of the darkness in the Christmas season. There's some things that are really beautiful about that, Advent and Christmas. We have these seasons that are built into our creation. And the animals and everything that is around us, I know we're less connected with that as we used to be. But they all live into all those seasons and schedules as well. You know, the birds um, wake me up every morning right before dawn, because I always sleep with my window open, and we have a lot of forest around us. So pretty much year-round, the birds wake me up every morning right before dawn, no matter when dawn happens to be. That's just part of their rhythm, isn't it? And we have animals that go into hibernation, and animals that come out. We have birds like our, our goldfinches, which I love seeing those bright yellow birds that look so out of place in western Washington that come and hang out. Our state bird, by the way. They come and hang out this time of year at my bird feeder, and then they go way south somewhere tropical. Kind of like my mom does, right? During, the, <laughs> during this, the winter. And we have all of these rhythms that God has built into everything that he has created. He's our master designer. He's our creator. I told some of you that I have, um, I'm, a, I'm a learner. I love learning new things. And so one of the, the great inventions, I think, of our modern time with the internet is the ability to do distance learning and distance education. And there's a lot of free stuff out there now. And one of my favorites is called edX. edX. If you're a learner, you need to know about this because these are schools like Harvard, MIT, all, all these other like, major named schools who put their... Um, lectures, a whole classroom series with the reading and lectures in video form for free. It just blows me away. So I've been taking a microbiology class, intro to microbiology from a professor at MIT. I never thought I would say that. I mean, he doesn't know me, of course, and I'm not actually taking it for any credit or anything, so I'm not doing any work. I just get to enjoy it. And one of the things that's been fascinating to me is I, I've always liked biology, but studying it down into the molecular level, you know, when you're talking about atoms like carbon and hydrogen and all these different things, that there's so much we're still just learning now about how biology works. And there's this one enzyme, this, and I didn't even know what an enzyme was. I still probably couldn't explain it to you, but there's this one enzyme, okay, and here's, here's the name of it, triosphosphate isomerase. It's actually, they, they nickname it Tim to keep it and give it some character, I guess, and then make it easy. This enzyme is found in almost every single living organism that they've ever discovered, from plants and fungi to mammals and insects and bacteria even. And this enzyme is phenomenal because what it does is it has, it, it wraps itself around a protein and allows it to take one little um, proton and move it from one place to another to completely change the chemical structure. And in doing so, it creates this powerful amount of energy that basically fuels us. And this enzyme, if you look at the chemical structure of this enzyme, and these enzymes, they are these long chains of, um, 
of, of molecules, okay? And they have these little things hanging off to the side called amino acids. And these amino acids, there's tons of them, and you can plug them in all over the place. But they have to be in exactly the right place in order to help this process happen. And when they help this process happen, the way they wrap around a protein and help this process happen, you could do it with other amino acids than the one that Tim has hanging off of itself. But if you, you could do it, but it would be a thousand times less efficient if you even changed one of them. So, so those who study this kind of thing, like this professor, he says, this is a perfect enzyme. They have done computer modeling, they've done all this stuff. You cannot make this thing more efficient than it is. It's absolutely the best that could possibly be out of trillions of combinations of how these enzymes could form. And it's in every single, almost every single living organism. Isn't that fascinating? And I think some people go, wow, that's just an amazing bit of luck. And when I hear stuff like that, I go, that's our creator. He's a designer, if you want to see evidence of how that's worked. And some would say that's evolution working to the point where it has become extremely efficient. And you know what? That doesn't even bother me because if God used it to do that, then fine. God can do it however God wants to do it. I'm not hung up on that. I'm just amazed that that's how it is. And that we can look and study that and see that. Okay, so why am I telling you all this? Not just to make myself look smart, because I really don't know very much about this. I just like learning about it. Why am I telling you about this? Because this guy who designed down to the molecular level every living thing to work the way it does, this God, this designer, this creator said, I have designed you for a pattern of work and rest. This is how I made you. And so when God gives his commands to his people, he says, this is how I want it to work for my people. You're going to work for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to rest. It's going to be a day off, but it's not just going to be a, a day off. It's going to be a, a ceasing. That's the word, the word Sabbath. And if you go back into the Hebrew, it really means to cease, to just stop. And so it's going to be a day where not just for you, but for your animals and for your servants, for anything in your household, it's going to be a day of rest. It's going to be a break. My first experience with this whole concept of Sabbath that I remember, at least in my head, was back when I had a paper route and I delivered the paper and we, we had a, a, an afternoon delivery, which was awesome for me because I could get off school and I could go deliver my paper. The one exception to that was Sunday morning and Sunday morning was terribly early. I hated some, and not only that, the papers were like three times as big. All the ads were in there. I did not look forward to Sunday mornings. But the way our um, paper worked, this was in Bend, Oregon, um, the Bend Bulletin, they had this policy that the paper boys had to, and girls, had to go collect the money for the paper. So you had to go door to door to every place you, you deliver the paper, and you had to knock on the door, and you had to ask them every month for the money. For that month, you had to collect it, and you had to take it down to the bank, and you had to put it into the bulletin's account, and you got to keep a certain amount for yourself. If you didn't collect all the money, then you were just short. You still had to give the paper its due. Creative, isn't it? 
And I remember going, and it's hard to get people at home. So uh, Sunday was a great day to get people at home. So I remember after church in the afternoons going, and I ran into this one house. They came to the door, and they were so angry that I had disturbed them on the Sabbath, and that I was collecting money on the Sabbath. Now, they, and by the way, they refused to pay me. And so I had to come back another time. That was obviously a negative experience, but it was my first um, experience of people who had taken this idea and turned it into a religious mandate. That they were doing it, I think, for good motives, but it had become something so big that they couldn't see beyond it. And that's what we run into with Jesus when he comes and he's often at odds with the religious teachers over this particular issue, over this issue of Sabbath. Because it's one of the Ten Commandments, it's repeated throughout the law. And so you hear it here. And so it's very important to our Creator, our God. And He says, I want this to be your pattern. And so pretty soon people started doing the things that we do. Well, what is work? You know, can I make lunch? Can I cook lunch or should it be leftovers? Can I stay up past a certain time? Can I walk a certain distance? Can I, what can I do? You know, and so they needed guidance. And so, of course, um, us religious teacher types are happy. Oh, well, let me tell you. I'll give you some rules and we'll get together. We'll have committees and we'll talk about this. And we'll give you a whole list of what's the Sabbath and what's not the Sabbath. And that becomes um, enshrined and it becomes a burden. And it becomes to the point that when Jesus wants to heal somebody, there are those who are saying, what are you doing? If you're a healer, that's your job. You don't do that on Sunday. You've got all the other days of the week, they said, to heal. I mean, it logically makes sense, doesn't it? They're telling Jesus, they said, look, you've got six other days. Look at all the healing you could do on those days, but you should take this day off. You should take a break on this day. Jesus had a number of responses to this, but one of them we see in John 5 He said, my father is always working, so I must work too. And I want to read to you, actually, one of these these episodes. This is in Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 1 through 13. If you have a Bible, I welcome you to read along with me. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you read what David did? What David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which it is not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So we have other examples of that. And we cannot talk about the Sabbath without, as Christians without engaging what Jesus has to say on this. So for Christians, very early on, from the very beginning, was this understanding that all of those laws and all of those rules around the Sabbath uh, were not applicable to Christians. 
that what was important was the things that Jesus taught. So he said, you know, is it better to heal someone or to, to just let them go on the Sabbath? He says, it's better to heal them. So Christians, we understand that there are things that we should do on the Sabbath. It's not just about what we shouldn't do. So Christians have understand this. Um, Mark 2.22, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So God designed us and said, I'm going to give you a day every week that's going to be a day of rest, and I'm doing this for you. And it got turned around until pretty soon it became, I'm taking a day of rest, and God, I'm doing this for you. Which we are when we obey God. We are doing it for God. But God's saying, this is a gift. I'm giving this to you. This is for your benefit. You weren't made so that I could have someone to obey the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made so that you could have a day of rest. Isn't it interesting that in our text today, that God goes so far and says, I would even like to see the animals and the land have rest. So every seven years, he says, I would like you to leave your fields alone and your vineyards alone and your orchards alone. You're just going to let them go wild. And I would like you to just allow anyone who needs the food, whether that's the poor or even the wild animals. Isn't it amazing that God, as he's giving the law, he actually is building into his law. He says there's a purpose here. And one of the purposes is for the wild animals. So I have to say that if you as a Christian or if I as a Christian, if we <clears throat> do not believe <clears throat> that we should be stewards of this creation, but rather just users of it, then you're missing not just the New Testament, but you're missing how God designed the Old Testament as well. God cares about these things. So next year, I am planning to, um, I have about three and a half acres. It's just, I think this tells me, right, that I should just let it go. No pruning my trees, no mowing the lawn. It's going to be awesome summer next year, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it is, um, you know, when we're talking about an agricultural society, um, no one knows if anything like this was ever actually implemented or even how that would work. I mean, could you all do it in the same year? You'd starve, probably. So, but we do know this. In modern agriculture, we've known for quite some time that it makes a lot of sense to take every so many years, everyone does it differently, and leave part of your property, some of your fields, fallow. Just let it go. And it actually allows that field to rejuvenate. We can talk about the molecular level, what's happening, right? The nitrogen that's getting affixed in the soil and all those kinds of things. But to allow that land to have rest and then it will be way more productive in the years to come. So we know this now. And God told us a long time ago that this is how he wanted us to do it. Okay, so what about us? So that's kind of, again, just sort of a big picture overview of this idea of Sabbath. What about us? Again, some have said, and I even have, when I look back in our book of confessions, there has been in our stream of um, spirituality for a long time, the idea that for Christians, Sunday, because that's the day of the resurrection of our Lord, that's our Sabbath. And on that day, we should rest, but we should worship. And we should use that time to engage with God. And again, some people, some churches have 
practice this in different ways and have made it more of a religious requirement than others. But this is part of the rhythm. I know for me, um, for my whole life, this has been part of my rhythm. And whether I am a pastor in the future or not, I have recognized the, the absolute need for me to have that rhythm of worship in my life. Corporate worship. Yes, I can go on YouTube and listen to some amazing pastors. And I can listen to my Bible as I'm driving down the freeway. And there's some great Christian radio stations that sing and play a heck of a lot better than I do. That I can pretend I'm singing with. And I have all of that in my life. But the rhythm of gathering with you as a community to worship is absolutely essential. I recognize that as something God built into me. Something that I need in my life. I will always need that. God designed me this way. But here's a novel idea. What if the idea of keeping Sabbath is not just about our needs, but it's about others' needs as well? This, this is kind of a revelation for me as I thought about this this time. Again, I've, I've known for a long time and believed that God designed me to have that time of rest. If I work seven days a week, I used to be a firefighter. I would work pretty much all summer long. If I work all the time, um, I am worthless, okay? And, and it just eats me up. I need that rest in my life. I recognize that. You don't usually have to push me too hard to take a day off, although sometimes I struggle with that. But I'm, I'll, I'm happy to do that. But what if taking rest, what if worship is not just about my needs? This shouldn't really surprise us because we looked at the Ten Commandments last week and we said there's like two tables. If you look at the first four, they all fall into this category of love God. They're all about how we honor God. We look at the last six, they're all about loving others and honoring others. There's not a whole lot about us in there. God's directing us towards God, directing us towards others. And Jesus said the same thing. And we talked about that last week. You know, the greatest commandment, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what God desires of us. So when it comes to the Sabbath, why would that be any different? And if that's true, what does that mean? What it means for me is that Sabbath, because it falls in the section of Scripture that, as I mentioned, we're going to have Don sharing with next week. It's in the section of Scripture that is dealing with justice issues with how you treat each other fairly, with how you have a just society, how you become a just people. And we have to understand that there are millions upon millions of people in this world who are forced to literally work their lives away. There's no retirement plan in their future. There's no day off in their future. There's no labor laws to protect them in their future unless someone else acts, acts. They can't do it on their own. I've been down in places in, um, in Mexico, in Central America, where you see every morning at dawn, rather than the birds singing, you see trucks of men and women being hauled off to the factories. And they don't return till dusk. And it happens day after day. And they live in cardboard shacks, barely making an existence. And this happens, folks, for millions upon millions of people in this world that we live in. 
It's just a daily reality. Our God cares, cares deeply and has always cared deeply for issues of justice. He cares about the orphan. He cares about the poor. He cares about the widow. And in this instruction on keeping the Sabbath that we just read, he gave a purpose. And he said, the purpose of giving this land a Sabbath is so that the poor among you may eat. Christians right now are at the forefront of trying to end global poverty. There's amazing work happening and progress happening. It's not all gloom and doom. There's actually been an incredible progress that's happened in the last couple decades on poverty. And Christians have been at the forefront of this. Christians have been at the forefront in the past in this country and now in other countries at bringing about just labor laws. Christians were the ones who were fighting to make it so that our kids in this nation didn't have to work back when factories were booming and we needed that labor. That's the reason that my son who's 14, I'm not thinking about sending him off to work now. It's actually hard. If I want to make him work, I've got to go get a work permit. And he's limited on his number of hours, the whole thing. Christians have been instrumental in making this happen. And as I mentioned, this week in Cam- next week in Cambodia, I'm going to be work- seeing some Christian organizations who are right now working and instrumental in trying to get people out of bonded labor and, and human trafficking slavery practices. Yes, there's some really terrible issues with prostitution, but there's also much more insidious things like, hey, you're a poor family, you're, you know, your husband, your wife, your kid is sick, you don't have insurance, of course, there's no such thing in many countries, you need to go see a doctor, you're making less than $2 a day, um, here, I will loan you money, and then you need to come work for me to pay it off. And then they come work for him, and they find out that he's, they're working with hundreds of others, making bricks, or rolling cigarettes, or doing something like that. And if the interest that they're paying on their loan is so much that their daily labor can't pay it off, and pretty soon they're stuck. And oftentimes their family ends up stuck because the next crisis you need to borrow more money, and pretty soon you've got a whole family living generation after generation as slave labor, essentially, for some man who's making his fortune off of bricks or cigarettes or whatever it is. And I say man because... Quite frankly, usually it is. Those kinds of things happen, and as Christians, I believe we are called to care. And I, and I know that seems, for some of you, maybe go, that's a big stretch from Sabbath. But I really don't think it is. I think that we are privileged that we can actually have the conversation and say, hey, should I take today off? <laughs> should I take a break today? Should I go to worship today? That is a blessing. People have worked so hard Christians, our, our mothers and fathers in the faith have strove very desperately to get us to this place. And we should be grateful and thankful for that. But we shouldn't just coast into that. So I don't know where that strikes you or where that leaves us. I know so often um, when it comes to these kinds of things, we have this feeling of helplessness and um, uselessness. And I would just say, you know, pray about it. Be in conversation about it. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised at what God might lead you to.